Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hi, everybody, and happy spooky season! Yay! I am like the five-year-old I eternally am all Octobers. I am so excited to have this very special time of year come around again. I am currently stockpiling candy like there's no tomorrow, especially Twixes. I am reinstating my Shutter account, and I am finding pretty much any excuse to listen to Bette Midler's version of I Put a Spell on You on repeat. So, without further ado, let's get into our spooky season film offering for this week, The Fly. This choice is probably a surprise to absolutely no one, considering how much I love Cronenberg, and obviously the hint on the last episode for this episode was very, very obvious, but hey, you know what? Whatever works, right? And prepping this episode was interesting, because it's one of the first times I've watched a film for the podcast in this case, a set of films for the podcast with my boyfriend, who is a huge history freak. And one interesting point he brought up was how similar the political climates of both the 50s and the 80s were. While watching the 1986 version, he very astutely reminded me that this was filmed during the Reagan era in the 80s, when there was a rise in anti-abortion sentiment in the US and an overall shift towards a more conservative Republican party. And and even though Cronenberg is Canadian, he was working in Hollywood at the time. So it did probably, the pol- politics of the time, I should say, probably influenced him in some way, shape or form. It isn't in huge contrast either to 1958 when Dwight Eisenhower, who was somewhat conservative, was president and the national sentiment was very much all about forgetting the horrors of World War II and getting back to the way things were. But what makes these films interesting is that they were made during similar political climates, but they reflect such different cultural fears about who we are and why we fear what we fear. So Kurt Newman's fly of the 50s was all about the fear of technology invading the home and destroying the nuclear family. Cronenberg's fly of the 80s wasn't really worried about the nuclear family or technology for that matter. It was really more concerned with the fact that no matter how hard we try, we're still trapped in these organic, fragile bodies that we've always been in. But is one fear more valid than the other? I aim to find that out, lovely listeners, so let's get heady and get some donuts, wank wank, as we take a look at the 1958 original and 1986 remake of The Fly. What unearthly horror did that girl gaze upon? What manner of incredible thing walked beneath that hood? It would be unfair at this time to show you any more of what went on in that laboratory where a man actually dared to play God. So fantastic, words can't begin to describe it. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. 
So, a fun fact for those of you who don't know, this film is actually based on a short story by a man named George Langalon that was published in Playboy magazine of all places. And both this version of the film and the short story tell the story of Helen DeLong and her husband Andre, who's a scientist that's doing some super secret work for some super secret folks. And he begins to experiment with teleportation. And you know the rest, lovely listeners, even if you haven't seen both of these movies. So this film was brought to the head of Regal Pictures, which was the B-movie company that was nestled in 20th Century Fox, and it was quickly brought into production with a very small budget and a very quick shooting schedule. While some reviewers thought the film was kind of crude or ludicrous, audiences absolutely loved it, and it made $3 million at the box office, which today would be about $27 million in USD. It also, thankfully for us horror nerds, launched the career of Vincent Price, who plays Andre's brother, Francois, in one of his rare good guy roles, I should say. What this film did really well is bank on the fears of modern 50s Americans. As HorrorHistory.com writes, The Second World War left over 40 million dead and millions more exposed to the full intensity of man's inhumanity. Homecoming soldiers and bereaved widows had lived through too much personal horror to be frightened by hokey fantasies about costume monsters in middle European villages of a bygone era. The era of horror movies framed in a fairy tale mise-en-scene was over. This film is shot incredibly high-key. It's almost like a giallo film where you're watching these beautiful people in their gorgeous home with all of their soft pastels go through really horrible and atrocious things. And I really think that strengthened the film's message of not doing anything to disrupt the peace and domestic happiness that we all wanted so badly to have after World War II. I will say, though, this film isn't without its fun horror bloodiness, because, damn, those of you who've seen it, that first scene with the compressor is, like, really gnarly, even for today's standards. (laughs) But as usual, I digress, this film, as HorrorHistory.com said, brought the horror from faraway Europe to the home, where thanks to the rise of the middle class and factory production, there was a rapid rise in tech-based consumer goods such as the microwave and the transistor radio, which some people didn't think was all that good of an idea. The film is really about a fear of the unknown and a fear of things we value in our wider society being corrupted in some awful and irreversible way. Which brings us to this doozy of a film, this amazing doozy of a film, may I say, which also has a very interesting backstory that kind of connects to what makes these films so different. The film was originally developed by Kip Orman and Charles Edward Poe and was very, very close to the original film. But the studio rejected it, interestingly enough, for that very reason that it was too similar to the original film. And I get it, you know, this... This film wasn't being made for the 50s, it was being made for the 80s, and in the 80s, instead of coming out of World War II, we were coming out of Vietnam, where even more people saw, like very specifically saw the horror of it, now that TVs were in their home, and news broadcasts and news channels had cameras on the ground televising everything. People literally watched actual people die in real time and helicopters and planes and such dropping bombs 
without the little voice in the back of their mind saying, oh, well, that guy or woman got up five seconds later after cut and went to the craft service table, you know? So people became hyper aware of just how fragile and some might even say disposable our bodies are. This is not only reflected in Seth Brundle, Jeff Goldblum's character, his slow but painful looking deterioration into the monster he becomes, but it's also reflected in a quote that Cronenberg gave to Bette Gordon for Bomb Magazine in the 80s when he said, Because of our necessity to impose our own structure of perception on things, we look on ourselves as being relatively stable. But in fact, when I look at a person, I see this maelstrom of organic, chemical, and electron chaos, volatility and instability shimmering, and the ability to change and transform and transmute. What I also think is important to note about this film is that while Cronenberg has stated that this film isn't explicitly or implicitly about the HIV AIDS epidemic, although to be clear, he doesn't discredit that interpretation, this film did come out in the thick of the epidemic when people's bodies were being ravaged by something they didn't even realize was present in their lives. So the fear of our own bodies and how they can turn against us or people could use it against us was absolutely palpable when this film was made and released. I wonder if that's what makes this version of the film a little more timeless than the original. Don't get me wrong, the original is wonderful and definitely worth watching on its own, but it feels very much like a product of the time it was made in. Whereas Cronenberg's version, and all of his films for that matter, feel like it could come out today in theaters and people would think it's fresh and relevant. I also think in regards to the original, family structures have changed so much that the fear of the nuclear family coming apart really isn't as like palpable or important as your own body betraying you which we've never stopped, and honestly, I don't think ever will stop fearing. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I think fear can be a very subjective thing depending on a person's life experience. And that's one of the reasons why I love the horror genre so much, because there's really a film for everyone and every fear. So just because I say the fear of dismantling the nuclear family isn't as timely, it doesn't mean that it isn't a relevant or important fear one may have even today. But for me, the thing that we all share is having a body. And especially after this year, we never want that body to go wrong or do something we didn't expect or do something to it that we'll regret later. That's why films like The Wolfman, that episode of Goosebumps with the haunted mask, and Cronenberg's Fly hold up so well because our bodies are dream machines until they turn into cataclysmic nightmares and... Having to confront that is one of the most terrifying, but also one of the more human experiences out there, I think. Thank you, as always, so much for listening. You know what I'm going to ask. Let us know what you think of the movies on our social media pages. We, No, seriously, we love hearing from you folks, and it really kind of gets our gears churning. So keep those comments a-coming. And 
If you want more horror film fun this month, we'll be doing a very special Patreon episode with some very cool guest stars. So become a Patreon member today to get in on that. I will put the link in the description below. Tune in next week as we continue our October horror movie-thon with probably one of the greatest films of all time and one of the worst remakes of all time. Or is it? Dun-dun-dun! Okay, I will stop with the histrionics and hope you all stay safe, stay spooky, and keep watching movies. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Marianne O'Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauvé. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl presses play.